0: I'm Grant Oliphant. This is We Can Be. Our guest today is Alicia Wormsley, an interdisciplinary artist with an anthropology background who found national fame this past year with a billboard installation that stated simply, there are black people in the future. Alicia has taught, filmed, observed, and created all over the world. Her art aims to tear down boundaries of forgetfulness. She is a science fiction fan, a teacher, a creator, and a visionary who plays with our understanding of time, identity, and place in ways that spark new conversations and exciting new conceptualizations of who we are. What I am... Really, burning to talk about today is okay. the controversy about there are black people in the future. Uh-huh. Want your work that generated national conversation. But before that, I want to okay. I want to just talk a little bit about you as an artist and. You as a sci-fi fan, because Mm -hmm. I think that's so fascinating. (laughs) And as somebody who grew up addicted to sci-fi, I want to explore that a bit, too. But can you just talk a little bit about your journey into art? How did you come to be an artist?
1: That's a good question. My mom inspired art and science fiction (laughs) duo. You know, those are things that she was really into. And I grew up going to the Carnegie Museum of Art, almost like it was... Even our babysitter, I mean, we had a single mom, so she would drop us off at the museum and say, you know, stay together, and I'll, I'll pick you up in a couple hours. And I went to art camp there, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're always, like, making crafts. Mom's very much like Martha Stewart. Like, she just, like, sees things, and she's like, let's make that.
0: So you grew up in so a maker home. I grew up home. in a
1: maker home, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And also, my grandfather owned a lot of properties in Coryopolis and Ambridge, and... We would work for him in the summers and, like, build things and clean houses. And, like, I learned how to use my hands and um, make what I wanted to make. I loved art in high school. I took a lot of great art classes. I had a great teacher, Chris Fetter, who I went to Winchester Thurston. And he was a great teacher. And he even told me, like, Alicia, you should think about going to art school after high school. And I was like, oh, no, I I know art. (laughs) I'll do something else, you know. And, like, I thought, like, I had achieved like everything I needed to achieve in art. And so I started school pre-med. That didn't last very long. And then I got into anthropology and I was very influenced by Zora Neale Hurston who wasn't just an anthropologist, but she was also an artist and a playwright and a performer, just kind of everything. And so I started using photography to document culture. I was very into hip hop also. So a lot of my like research was around hip hop. And then I got a gig photo documenting a mural conference in Cuba. My roommates were muralists. So I went to Cuba in 2001 and it was amazing and I was around artists from all over the world. One older artist from Spain actually said to me, "You know, Alicia, you're an artist. What are you doing? Like, you should be making art." Like, that's so so
0: great to have somebody affirm that.
1: Yeah. So I was like, "You're right. (laughs) You know, like, I, I should make art." And so, because I had these artist roommates, and we like just started making work together, and I was making collages, and I started thinking about like the stories that I was so interested in, the mythology and the science fiction of African American culture, of the diaspora. I just started making work around that.
0: Did you see that as an act of courage to decide, yeah, I'm going to make art? Because I think, first of all, it's a gift to have somebody in your life tell you to pursue a passion. So that's Absolutely. great. Mm-hmm. In my deep inner soul, I'm a writer and I love to write. But I did not have the courage at the stage of life where you did to say, right. I should go do that for a living. In fact, if somebody had told me that's what I should go do for a living, I'd have invented a thousand reasons why I couldn't. So right. did, did you see it as an act of courage to just decide, yeah, you're right. And I'm going to do I that. I
1: didn't. I actually, I mean, I'm going to go back to my mom. Like she just really told us we could do anything we wanted to do. Like mm-hmm. she was just very encouraging. It just all kind of made sense. And I just started doing it. And I didn't really feel like the struggle, right, <laughs> or right. even that I needed to be courageous, until a couple years later when I was started to like support myself. Unreal. <laughs> and, uh, and that's when it settled. <laughs> and that's when I was right. like, Oh wait, am uh. I doing this, or should I go yeah. back to medical school?
0: At that point, it had you though. Yeah. So you you come from a maker home, you've been exposed to a lot of different influences, you encounter people in your life who tell you to pursue your gift, but then there's also this part of you that is a sci-fi fan, oh, yeah. and that's part of your DNA, it seems, too. So how did you come by that interest, and how has it influenced um, your work?
1: I don't know, they're just like the movies I watched when I was a kid, and also, you know, like the house I lived in, like my brother is like totally into Marvel and comics and all of that, and... We like, as a family, like watched Dune and <laughs> um, <laughs> right. and like a classic. But, yeah, yeah, and like all of those, even fantasy realm films, we just we watched them like as a family, and it's just kind of in me. And then, yeah, I mean, the first Octavia Butler book I read was my mom's. I just like picked it up from her stack of books.
0: You now describe yourself as an interdisciplinary artist who tears down boundaries of forgetfulness. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you can break that down for us, what that means to you.
1: So I read this book my first year in college called Sanctified Church, which really inspired me to study anthropology. And in the book, Zora Neale Hurston did a study of religious experiences of African-Americans post-emancipation, and she recorded when people would speak in tongues. And she found traces of African dialect in those recordings. And I just thought that is like real life science Mm -hmm. fiction, right, Mm -hmm. like that that language that had been separated from you for generations was in your DNA. That's superhuman, you know, like if you think about Mm -hmm. it, those kind of like overlaps in time that I'm really interested in.
0: Is part of the forgetfulness that we forget what we're capable of? Yeah, I hear you saying that and Yeah,
1: and, and I think we forget our connection to humans who have passed away like ancestors, right. you know, like we forget the connections that we have to humanity.
0: I think every artist likes to imagine a moment where their work is viewed by massive audiences. And you clearly achieved that moment in the spring of 2018 through a work of yours called There Are Black People in the Future. And you didn't expect to have it reach the audience that it did. Let's talk a little bit about how that came to be. So there is something called The Last Billboard, and Mm -hmm. your piece was part of that exhibit. Can you tell us a little bit about The Last Billboard and how it came to be?
1: While John Rubin had the Waffle Shop, which was next door to the Shadow Lounge, there was a structure of like an old Lamar billboard. John Rubin had asked me if I wanted to put There Are Black People in the Future on the billboard. <laughs>
0: The last billboard is an actual billboard structure on top of a building in the East Liberty neighborhood of Pittsburgh. Maybe 40,000 people would drive by the billboard on any given month that a text was up. We have about five lines of space. I invite every month a different artist to present a text on the space. So some of my favorite billboards are Linka Clayton's, which says, tragically, the world's oldest person keeps dying. One by Jim Christensen, which says, anything but this. One by Neil Farber and Michael Demontier, which says, you don't have to open every door, a door labeled hell, for instance. And Alicia Wormsley's text, there are black people in the future.
1: I actually thought that there would be some questions or some negative feelings from the African American community of East Liberty because of the history of that building and the Shadow Lounge being there and not being there and what does it mean to have that text on that building and how it could be a sensitive thing for African-Americans, actually. But then I thought about it and I thought, you know, like if it just needs a discussion, right, like we'll talk about it. But then, you know, it wasn't the same case with the developers in the neighborhood.
0: Yeah. So before we get to that, because I think that's That's where this turns. It's important for people to understand that East Liberty is historically an African-American neighborhood Mm -hmm. that has been going through a rapid transition to becoming the hottest neighborhood in Pittsburgh and has experienced a sense of dislocation, experienced cultural erasure. And so this is the atmosphere that you're leaning into and why you felt the complexity about it. It's interesting to hear that you thought about that going in, but that wasn't even the idea originally with the work, was it?
1: So in 2011, I was having a conversation about science fiction and the lack of black presence in science fiction. And I just said, you know, there are black people in the future. And I just started like sketching things and writing it in my sketchbook. And I made a few collages and I was really just playing around with the idea of what that meant. You know, Afrofuturism as a term, as a genre of arts, kicked off around then. And then I was uh, actually in residence at Westinghouse, which is a middle school, high school in Homewood, through the Warhol. Like, I had a classroom in Westinghouse as my studio. And I was working with the kids on making sci-fi films. And we would go walking and taking pictures and filming. And they would say things like, this area right here is perfect for a zombie film because it looks like an apocalypse. And I'm like, this is your neighborhood. This is where people live. They would say that. They're like, oh, it looks like Walking Dead right here. You know, So then we start having a conversation like, well, why does it look like that here? This neighborhood used to be beautiful, thriving, filled with businesses. There's such a rich legacy in this neighborhood just like other neighborhoods around the country that, you know, went through severe economic depression and the war on drugs. We start, you know, thinking about the police state, you know, the prison system and all of these things that are threats to Black people being in the future. And I just started collecting objects. I would print there are black people in the future on these objects. So this idea is expanding into like a metaphor for what's happening in our country. And I'm printing these objects and I'm encasing them in resin, almost like I'm an archaeologist or an anthropologist, kind of making an archive of this neighborhood, of this civilization. Yeah. And I showed that work. The work was written about by art critics and Afrofuturist writers and uh, was in two books about Afrofuturism and this is like 2013, 2014 and I mean, there was an installation in the Homo Coliseum for a year and a half, you know, so I kind of like was done with that work actually. Right. And-
0: <laughs> So you were ready to move on, yeah. I'm which like, is one I of the, had
1: moved on. Which is one of
0: life's little ironies, yeah, right? It was, and then so we'll get to what yeah. happens next, then, because I, I just want to make sure that I have something right, because it strikes me as I listen to you that there are two messages in there are multiple messages, right. but there's a sort of core message to the black community about not accepting a diminished view of the future. Uh, And then there's a message to the white community about stop erasing us. Is that a fair characterization, would you say?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: You can see why. Or not
1: even stop erasing us, but you can't erase Uh, us.
0: Got it. I certainly can understand why when this piece of art goes up on the billboard, folks in the black community would feel some ambivalence about it in the context of the. A dislocation that they're already experiencing, but then something else happened. Describe for us what happened next.
1: I guess the billboard had been up for about three weeks, and it seemed like everybody was very supportive of it. I got a lot of people telling me how awesome it was. John gave me a call and told, said, you know, I got this email from the management company. There are some questions or some concerns about the text, and they want me to take it down. I said, "Oh, okay," and then he was like, "Well, I'm not gonna take it down, but maybe we can just give them some context for it, or you know, see what the, see what's going on." So he emailed them and just like, "Well, here's the information about Alicia," and if you have any questions, no response yet. And then I got an email from another developer, and it was CC'd to the mayor, and he was drawing these connections to some signs that had been put out with his name on them that he felt were anti-Semitic, and they were about his developing practices. You know, we wrote back and I said, I don't see how these are connected at all. They're completely separate, like this is just art, it's text on a billboard, this has nothing to do with you. But he
0: took it personally. He
1: took it personally. And then I said, I'm happy to have a conversation about this, like maybe we should have a community conversation. Then that kind of fizzled, but then there was another email from the management company, from the owner of the building that said, I want you to take the text down. And so I think we sent one more very kind email, and she cc'd Carnegie Mellon, who actually is the leaseholder, and said, take it down now.
0: And was there an obligation to take it down at that point?
1: There was a clause in the lease that said if there was something political or offensive the owner of the building could demand that it be taken down okay but in I think 11 years, she'd never once said anything. And there were messages about the war in Iraq, about Palestine.
0: This is this is exactly <laughs> what I was hoping you would get at, because this is the piece that felt the most crazy in this whole exchange was that the criticism was that it was a political statement that right. there are black people in the future. Were you prepared for the intensity of media focus that followed?
1: No, <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah. So I was like, oh, whatever, you know, like, people are going to be mad that it was taken down and I didn't think it would be like this huge media frenzy and you know get national attention
0: neighborhood tensions have been simmering over gentrification in East Liberty but boiled over with the removal of this billboard the landlord of the building demanded that it be taken down after she received complaints if you're afraid of a sign that says that there are black people in the future you have to reflect on why you're afraid that there are black people now because
1: we we are here. We believe that East Liberty Development's past and current support of questionable and discriminatory development prove that its current mission, philosophies, and priorities do not reflect those of displaced residents, nor we believe those of the majority of current East Liberty residents. It was conclusively proven when its board and executive director found troublesome and problematic a simple sign that stated a simple truth there will be black people in the future. Yeah! And so many Pittsburghers protested the removal of the text. Office of Public Art made like an official statement that they supported the work. There was so much support within the Pittsburgh community that was awesome. But then you just think about like, the things that are happening right now. Like, I mean, the way that people reacted to Black Lives Matter movement, for black people to just claim dignity (laughs) <laughs> that humans should have is threatening.
0: Now, how did that feel when they told you to take it down?
1: I felt s- extremely vulnerable, and there was a lot of anxiety, just questioning like if I had done something wrong, even putting that up. And then, I mean, that was quick. <laughs> it hurts your feelings right. to like, have <laughs> right, right. like to, you mm-hmm. know, like for someone to say something you made is bad. Of course, I don't want to make anyone feel bad. But then I'm thinking about like, well, you know, we all feel uncomfortable sometimes and we have to deal with that Well, if discomfort. they feel bad
0: because of that statement, yeah, yeah. They, they really need
1: <laughs> Like, what does we, that mean? We really need yeah. to deal with like, that as a society, feel, right, 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 you know. right. Yeah, and then I was just angry. You know, it's a good thing to ask questions and it's okay to feel uncomfortable. And I just think that there are better ways to resolve that, to deal with that discomfort than saying, take something down or get rid of it or, you know, like, well, why?
0: You can't compromise fr- on first principles around respecting creativity and respecting speech and, and accepting that in some ways it is the role of art to make us uncomfortable, even if it's uncomfortable in ways we, we may differ from for whatever reason. It's enshrined in the Constitution. We believe in it, but we clearly struggle with it. And what mm. do you think is the lesson for people around art?
1: it's like a whole gamut of emotion or like response that can happen to art like art can make you feel so good or so understood but it can also make you question it can make you feel uncomfortable and make you feel like you don't know something or it's like so not your experience that you can't even connect to it and I think all of that is important. Those are all important feelings to have. Humans, like our evolution is dependent upon us understanding that we're gonna feel so many different ways and it's okay to feel uncomfortable and it's okay to feel sad or angry, but that feeling cannot lead to you using power over someone else. My son watches Daniel the Tiger and there's a song that's like, you know, it's okay to feel angry, but it's not okay to hurt someone, you know, like that's like basic, yeah.
0: I love that, that's perfect. And there was rapid backpedaling by the folks who insisted that it come down.
1: They said we could put the text back up, but I mean, how can you trust someone? Or it just didn't feel right Right. to put it back up there.
0: At that point, the damage had been done. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's okay to feel angry. It's not.
0: One expression of your art is that you have said to people that this is a phrase they should use, they should take it, Absolutely. they should employ it. So you've not attempted to own the phrase, you've wanted to share it. How does it feel to give something away like that?
1: It's, it's interesting to me that it's even like an an option that I ha- own it to give it away, you know, like it's language, it's a sentence, right. you know, right. <laughs> it's a fact. It's like, right. it's more powerful to share it than to say, like, this is just my art. When we had the community meeting at the Kelly Strayhorn Theater, it just felt like this is like such a metaphor for how people feel, you know, like they've been removed. Right. This billboard, this text being taken down is nothing compared to like people's existences being changed and the neighborhood that they grew up in is not their neighborhood anymore. That's a problem.
0: Right. Is the context for this purely what was going on in the neighborhood or what's going on in the country, what the, who the president is and what he's saying? I and mean, when you try and interpret or pick apart what this moment represents.
1: I mean, all of those things, I think, you know, this is like a transitioning time for this country and there is a shift happening and that shift is happening because people are speaking up, because they're taking a stand, that they're, you know, deciding that things have to change.
0: Yeah. It would be totally unfair of me to ask you to explain white people, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but is it... Does, <laughs> you
1: probably know better than me, Well,
0: I don't. that's why it's totally unfair. But I'm just wondering, when you, why, in your opinion, sitting as the artist who promulgated the work, do you think people find it threatening just to say that there are black people in the future right now. Why is that a controversial statement?
1: There's a very deep-rooted history of genocide and just torture that has not been addressed and not discussed or worked through and there's like this legacy of guilt and guilt is connected to fear and it's connected to discomfort and it is unfortunate and something that needs to change. And I also think not even just like in white culture, but capitalism, there is this conditioning of there isn't enough for everybody. And I think that's like a huge issue in this world. Zero
0: sum game psychology, where the pie is only so big and we can only divide it so many ways.
1: Right. And there's like, an, uh, that's ridiculous. There's an abundance of resources on mm-hmm. this planet mm-hmm. that is, there's plenty for everybody. Yeah, make and more pie. Yeah, make more <laughs> pie. You know, and we're just still in this structure of like a monarchy where there's like a very small percentage of people who have so much mm. and everyone else is just like fighting for the rest. And that's an illusion.
0: You know, what's interesting about you also is that you have studied all around the world and taught all around the world, which I'm very jealous of, by the way. <laughs> what did that global perspective give you as, as an artist dealing with that moment?
1: Definitely just like seeing the different perspectives different experiences that have these similarities but are you know their own experiences and I think learning about how the United States is not the center of the world (laughs) is a huge lesson and also just seeing like the abundance that this planet has and people are kind of conditioned to thinking that there isn't also just like the human experience. Like, I just love like going places and seeing, you know, like going to South Africa and, you know, seeing older women do the same things my grandmothers do. There's just like these overlaps in our consciousness and our humanity that are beautiful. You
0: know, it's interesting, we're living in a time where hate crimes are up, and it feels as though racism is newly ascendant and mm-hmm. anti-Semitism and all kinds of other isms. And yet, it feels as though there's more receptivity to art like yours than there has ever been before. do you yeah. do you feel that?
1: Yeah, I actually think that it's hard to change, right? So people are kind of holding on to this hate. And so I think that is like kind of a natural thing that happens in this progression because I think we are like on both sides expanding so much right. with letting people be who they are,
0: right. It's beautifully said, and and then I want to move on to what you're working on now because I know you you thought you were done with this work <laughs> okay. a couple of years ago and. There's a genius to, if you'll forgive me for using the word, but there's a genius to tapping into the zeitgeist, you know, what's going on in the psychology of people at a certain time, which I I think is what your work represented. It was profoundly meaningful and tough to move on from yeah. because now you've gone, you know, you were ready to move on, but then it dragged you back to itself right. and the world wanted to have a conversation about it. And then that happens. And I think that conversation is still happening because of what's going on in the country. But you as an artist have expressed a desire to do other things. What are you being drawn to now?
1: Well, I am really into the kind of survival and thriving of black women. I'm very focused into the ways in which women have historically cared for themselves and their children and their families and the world, specifically the ones that were taken away from women, like birthing their own children, you know, midwifery herbalism, healing arts, like things that were actually like demonized for women to do and like called witchcraft, Mm -hmm. very strongly opposed by men. And so I feel like Those must be the most important things for women to actually like empower themselves. And I think it's happening organically. You know, you can see women taking ownership over these practices again. And so I've been very focused on that.
0: There's unfortunately a whole history of men outlawing, erasing, or taking over practices and professions that were dominated by women. Mm -hmm. So that's a, I think that's an incredibly rich, Area of work to explore, and it continues your pattern of wanting to do socially relevant work. Right. The forefront of social change in at least in the history of this country, has so often been driven by black women. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself as in that tradition? Do you feel a special responsibility now because of the impact of their black people in the future to, right. to bear that as part of your burden?
1: It's not a burden. I definitely felt a responsibility to do more. You know, I'm not really like an activist, that's a skill and like people work very hard at that and that's not my role, but I do feel like my work is active. So I wouldn't be at all protests or things like that. Also because I have like weird anxiety around those things, but I just use my tools in a different way. But I definitely felt like a responsibility after the community meeting to keep this work, not to just let it go. This has more attention than like actual people being displaced. So like I have to use this to help this conversation, help this community work through what they want. Development is not evil, but there are practices within development that are not supporting the people who live there. Like, no one should be disregarded. No one should be taken from their home.
0: So even if you're not out at every protest, you view your art as being socially relevant and right. having that sort of impact. Sure. Yeah. You know, not everybody wants to be an artist, but I think so many people who will listen to this podcast struggle with ways to be doing meaningful, relevant work mm-hmm. um, where they can express who they are in a way that improves the world. What advice would you have for them? What advice Why made you them tell most... them to
1: go to medical school. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I, uh, <laughs> I'm like... Uh, my mom told me like you can do anything you want to do and like it matters because you matter there's room for all of us here just like what i said about the resources of this planet it's also the same with like our gifts and our spirit like we're all here you know whatever you do matters because you matter
0: I love that phrase. It matters because you matter. The name of this program is We Can Be. And I love to ask our guests to conclude that sentence the way that they think it should be concluded. Uh We can be what?
1: We can be anything. Fabulous. Yeah
0: fabulous. Alicia Wormsley, this has been good for my soul. Thank you.
1: It just <laughs> feels you. so
0: uplifting to talk to you, and I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank
1: for you. Being Thanks here. for having me. Are black down in the
0: Alicia's art and her willingness to share it has given us the opportunity for a long overdue dialogue. She laid bare not just for one neighborhood, but for an entire country, America's profound challenge in even talking about the issue of race. Alicia said she doesn't consider herself an activist, but rather believes her art is active. She understands and harnesses the power of that art on museum walls and homes or public art, on the roof of a building, to challenge what we remember and imagine for our future.